Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 23, Sync Thing. This is a, this is a fun tool. Me and Jay have been using yep. it for a while. And I said, yep. you know, I, I, we thought we did a video on it already. We're like, okay, but we haven't. So we have to now. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of thought like we probably should have done this like a long time ago because we've been talking about this for so long. And I, I was surprised when I noticed that we didn't have an episode about it yet. Yeah. And I think the reason we didn't have a dedicated uh, episode about it is because the uh, honorable mentions it's had across several videos as being one of the popular things to run on your NAS and, um, right. you know, ways you can sync. The, when, when Wendell was on, we talked about syncing things without using commercial software um, where you maintain the entire privacy yourself. And sync thing comes up because it, it's open source and fits that uh, transport. There's a few competing products out there. Um yep. But they're not open source. They're not always free, and uh, they don't have all the features of Sync Thing. So that's one of the reasons we decided right, this needs its own dedicated video because there's a lot to talk about here. And yep. uh, what we're going to be breaking down a lot is use cases and documentation and how the protocol works and lots of little nuanced details. But before we dive into that, and a place you can run Sync Thing, and this is a scenario we're going to talk about, would be Linode. You yep. can put your sync thing on Linode and uh, we're, we're going to cover zero trust because we like Linode, but trusting your data to be in the cloud, eh, that's always something of it, things can happen. So that is at least one of the topics. But on that topic of how do you get Linode, uh, we have an offer code, don't we, Jay? We sure do. And that, uh, if I remember correctly, that gets you $100 in free credit. That's good for, I think, three months towards a new account. So you can set up a... Uh, you can set up sync thing. You could also maybe combine it with zero tier. There's all kinds mm -hmm. of cool things you could do with uh, sync thing. The zero trust thing you mentioned we could do as well. Uh, yeah. Stack scripts. It's very easy to use and it's awesome. And if you've listening to this and downloaded this podcast, you've downloaded it from Linode servers. Uh, we don't just have them as a sponsor. They are actually the place where we host the home lab show. And Jay has all of his infrastructure on there. I'm slowly on my way to migration because migration is uh time consuming so yes, <laughs> if someone wants to call me out for not having everything on linode i've done some videos on it but yes some of my stuff is scattered around elsewhere and some of it's even self-hosted so but yeah. uh linode's been a, a great friend of the show here and a great and easy way to get started if you don't have a lab in your house you can use their lab in the cloud so uh thanks yep. linode, for sponsoring this show <laughs> much appreciated <clears throat> now I'm going to read some of the things from uh, Sync Thing here. I, I, this is really just great, just the highlights of it here. Private and secure. Private. None of your data is ever stored anywhere else other than on your computers. And what they mean by that is anywhere you set this up. Uh, encrypted. All communication is secured using TLS. The encryption you'd used includes perfect forward secrecy to prevent any eShrapper from ever gaining access to your data. Uh, this is awesome. So it's not like if they got the keys and had a capture, they can get it. That's what perfect forward secrecy is. adds another layer on top of that. And by the way, if you're curious like to what depths that their security protocol works, you can go deep. The documentation is great and well-documented in terms of how they handle uh, encryption and how they handle all the security on there, which is it really slick. Um, I like the fact that any company, and this is something a lot of the open source <clears throat> products and sync thing, especially has been doing for a while. And we're starting to see like a demand from some of the commercial vendors is we want to know how you built your security because with supply chain style attacks and uh, people not implementing things in the most secure manner, 
opens us up to a lot of threat surface. So I love seeing that they've taken the time and not recently, but since the beginning to really document how the protocol works. For those of you that really want to go deep, they, they can go as deep as you want in a documentation. You can get lost in it for a little while. It's also just good learning. So that's, yep. I don't know if you've ever taken the time to read through some of the stuff in there, Jay, but it's I have, it, yeah. <clears throat> authenticated. Every device, is, every device is identified by cryptographic certificates. Only devices you have explicitly allowed can connect to other devices. Um, this is part of the challenge, I would say, was thing that gets confused when people first start with it because it is a challenge and accept back and forth. So even if I were to expose my credentials and logins and everything for like the key for my sync thing, that doesn't get you in because you need to present the key from one sync thing to another. And if I publicly expose that, you would be able to try to join my sync thing session. But then I still have to implicitly accept. I mean, you can override this, but at least by default, you have to accept those connections. This is makes it a little bit more difficult because people like, hey, I put the credentials from one to the other and I put the address in and it didn't do anything. I'm like, go in, wait a minute, and you'll see it pop up that you would you like to accept this connection? You have to implicitly say yes. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, yep. It's a important little side note there, but hey, it actually one more layer because they don't make it easy for you to accidentally uh, leave this exposed and have people just jump into it. Open protocol. The protocol is a documented specification, no hidden magic, uh, open source. Of course, that's near and dear to our hearts because we can look at it. We can see the code. We can audit the code. Open development. Any bugs found are immediately visible for anyone. Browse, no hidden flaws. And open discourse development and usage is always open for discussion. They, they have forums and things like that. So you can engage with uh, everyone there. Now, one of the things that will go a step further is the file that actually controls all the configuration. No magic there either. It's all XML. And I believe, Jay, you did some work with Ansible on that. Oh, yeah. My whole setup, um, other than accepting nodes, that's that's the only thing. Other than that, it's completely Ansible. Like I have a whole Ansible playbook that goes through, sets up the username, the password, hash, the you know dark mode is enabled, all those things. It's great. Oh, yeah, by the way, it has dark mode. <laughs> it has dark mode, yep. But this is uh, one of the cool things about it is having a backend XML file. So not only do you get to configure it, now it has a web interface so you can manage it through that. But for those of you that want to do scripted installs and uh, actually tell people about your use case, Jake's. I don't, you're the first person I've ever heard do this with a bunch of Raspberry Pis, but I think this is clever. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing I want to mention too is that the use case, I mean, it, it's basically what you said, but in general, it's getting data from A to B, right? You have uh, two devices, you want them to have a folder that has the same data inside of it. And, you know, immediately you think of, you know, your documents, right? And maybe your your pictures and things like that. That's all fair game. It doesn't really matter what you sync. But I also have um, retro pies all over the house. I'm a big time retro gamer. Um, I'm probably going to be starting a retro gaming channel um, sometime this fall um, as a secondary thing. That's how much I love retro gaming. So retro pies are on every TV and sync thing is on every retro pie. So all the save files are synced via, you know, sync thing. So I could play Super Mario World on one TV, you know, just close it down and then go to the bedroom and bring it up and there you go. Same save file. It's right there. So all of my save files for my games are synced. And if, if you use your imagination, that's where I think sync thing really shines because it can, it's not just your files. Just think about other things that you want to be the same on different nodes. And I think you could probably come up with some pretty useful ideas. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the things that we should probably get out of the way, right, is what sync thing is not. And this is a problem is saying that it's like Dropbox, for example, the way Dropbox would synchronize files or OneDrive would synchronize files, you know, your two common commercial ones or Google Drive is not exactly accurate because it synchronizes everything in directory A and directory A on another computer. It will synchronize those directories. It does have some conflict management systems in there. So if two people were editing at the same time and sync thing wasn't synchronizing and we both save at the same time and then we tell it to sync, it'll have some conflict resolution. It'll give them a name. So it does have methods to deal with this, but what it doesn't have at the moment, and I don't know that there's any plans on the horizon for this particular feature, is something you may get with OneDrive. So let's say I have 10 terabytes of data and I'd like to share it with Jay. And Jay's like, oh, I want to share it on this computer, but I only want a couple files out of there. I don't want to sync the whole 10 terabytes. It doesn't have that as an option. So when you sync a folder, it syncs the folder. It doesn't have like Dropbox would be an easy example because I got the option to, or even OneDrive, you can right click and say only download these things or make them available when I click on them. There's some nuance that can be done there. That is not how sync thing works. That's something... Right that a lot of people question because they're looking for an alternative. They want to synchronize something to their smaller device without as much storage as their main device. You kind of have to sync a subfolder to be able to do that or just the critical data you want. But if you sync an entire 10 terabyte folder, then 10 terabytes gets synchronized across each node. <laughs> so this is right. And yeah. it's important to note you can exclude though, which isn't really a solution to that, but it, right. it, it could be. So you know, it's a perfect example for my, you know, my business. I'm making YouTube videos, right? Um, and these 4K videos are huge. And SyncThing absolutely synchronizes my projects folder with every computer. Because if I'm working on a video, I don't care what computer I'm on. I want to edit that video wherever I am. It's usually done on my desktop. But, you know, that being said, I want my data everywhere. But every now and then, if I'm using a laptop that has, you know, a 200 gig hard drive, I absolutely don't want my YouTube folder to be synced to that that laptop. And this has happened. If I don't put that exclude in there, the entire drive is completely filled up because I have, I think, 400 gigs of um, raw video files in there right now. So it's going to just totally take over that drive. So I can literally just put an exclude. Um, I have a folder called WIP work in progress. I just put that in there tell it to ignore it and then it won't sync that folder so you have some flexibility there but it, you know that's an ex exclusion kind of thing which may or may not be um, a, a solution yeah and the problem with exclusions are i mean you can say exclude all of these type of files but if you load some other oversized file on there it will sync that one so it's yep. Yeah, it's not the most ideal one. Uh, the way we do it here, our functional use case for uh, the business is we have a shared business folder with a few of the staff here for when we have some certain documents that we need. And we have a design folder for when we need some of the design stuff done. Uh, we'll just drop it in there and it's immediately synced between the people that it's relevant to. So each share is its own thing. Now, the cool thing is with sync thing because it can be transported over the internet that works on my desktop here. Anything I save, I immediately can open up and have on my laptop at home. Uh, and you can have intermediaries in between. But let's roll all the way backwards to the basics here. Uh, something yep. I want to start with is how do you load it and how do you get it set up? And this yep. is this good news. If you're on Windows, you're on Mac, you're on Android, 
no problem. They've got, they even have an F droid for those of you that don't even want to use the normal Google play market, but there is available in the Google play market. Uh, there is no official support for iPhone at the moment. Uh, so there's nothing for the iPhone, but you can run this on Linux, windows, uh, free BSD, open BSD, net BSD. I don't know what Lumos is, but Solaris is on there too. <laughs> so, yep. And a couple of things about the installation, because there's some, there's some options here. When it comes to Linux, so I could I could speak more intelligently about that. There's generally two ways of installing it on Linux on a Linux distro. You you can install the repository. They make repositories available for the popular distros, so you could add that repository and then you know apt install or yum install whatever you do, and get sync thing on your system. But you can also download a tarball. That's just you know no repository. It's just the binary in a tarball. You can extract it and run it wherever you want. Now, one benefit of that is it can update itself. So if you're running the binary somewhere, um, you can actually choose the option to automatically update and the binary will get replaced with a new version automatically. Whereas if you use a repository, you're going to need to um, in install the update there through however you install updates on your distro. So you have flexibility there. So if you're going to script it, if you want to do the repository, you can script the adding of the repository and also the installing of the package, or you could even just simplify it to um, having the version of wget that your automation solution uses to pull the binary, extract it, put it where it needs to go. Um, if you download the binary, you'll have to download a, um, you know, like a service file, like a systemd unit file for it. So that way you can um, enable the service. But from what I've seen, if you use the repository, you get a unit file automatically so you can enable it per user or for the whole system so you could have a system-wide sync or you can enable it for just your user which is probably better because um, if it's a multi-user system if you have other people using that computer right. shared computer you probably don't want like everything <laughs> syncing to everything and when you install it you actually get a web console that's built right in and by default it's going to use port 8384 and that's going to be right on your system. You can go localhost colon 8384 to access it. And by default, no other computer can access it. So if you have another computer on the LAN, they can't go to your computer's IP address, you know, port 8384, and expect to see your web console because it won't let anyone else other than localhost in. You can override this if it's, be, if it's a server, for example. But you have that flexibility to kind of decide if you want that web console, like, like in the case of a server, to be LAN-wide or just keep the default and not let anyone else in. So you have a lot of flexibility as far as how you can install it on Linux. Yeah, it's it's pretty simple. And I seen someone in the chat mention Raspberry Pis and, and as Jay said, in RetroPie, uh, I will expand a little. The Linux is actually available for a lot of different compilations on there. So whichever mm -hmm. one works for you. And I've done some videos before and setting this up even on like TrueNAS and the, it, some of the advantages you have there uh, when yep. you set it up are going to be that the NAS usually is designed to be on all the time versus my computer's not. So when you're thinking about where to install all this, it's not necessarily because this is where you can run a problem. For example, my laptop, I leave at home unless I'm traveling. And then my desktops, well, it just stays here at the office. And the desktop gets turned off when I leave. My laptop's off until I get home. Obviously, if I had sync thing on each of these, they are on and off at opposite times, and uh, I don't want to leave them on all the time to get them to sync. This is where you can have a series of intermediary nodes and 
FreeNAS is a popular or TrueNAS is a popular solution for this where you can load it on there. Now, the cool thing is you don't even have to worry about the repository. You can auto uh, install it. It's part of, uh, well, TrueNAS Scale has been released and it, I haven't tested on TrueNAS Scale, but I'm sure it works fine, but it's uh, been a long time available on TrueNAS Core. So you can install it on TrueNAS Core. Now, a little bit of twist when it does it on TrueNAS Core because it puts it as a uh, Nginx with the reverse proxy on it. Um, I'm not exactly sure why the package is installed that way. I, I talk about and I have a video of how to install it the manual way on there. Mm -hmm. uh, the downside is uh, when you saw it manually, you then have to figure out because there's no uh, way to get to the interface. In easy, my solution, in my video is just oh. using SSH forwarding uh, to binding that 8384 to localhost to do this. And this is something you'll run into anytime you set this up on a headless server. Um, there's one of two things you can do set it up in a headless server, use SSH to manage it via the web interface, or more like what Jay has done learn how the XML file works and edit. You can manually just go in and edit the sync thing XML file and change all the options, for example, where it binds to and whether or not you want it to be accessible against right. the actual interface or keep it secure all the time and only use SSH forwarding because that way you don't have to have anything more than SSH open on that particular machine and you can keep the management interface closed on sync thing because sync thing has two ports it's going to use one's the management interface and the other one is the actual the transport layer interface yep. so both do have encryption uh but something worth noting is the out-of-the-box config is with no ssl on sync thing i think that's still the out-of-box config when you install this right now it's yeah. localhost so it's not risk other than it is transferring in an unencrypted manner so if you don't check the encrypted box and add the ssl you would also then be passing things across plain, te plain text in your management interface. Just something to consider when you're setting these up mm -hmm. on the system. Yep. Another thing that could be considered is um, having, if you have like multiple hardware servers, this, this may not work so well if you have like an all-in-one VM server that's all everything to you. But if you have like a, you know, a v virtualization solution in something like TrueNAS, for example, what you can consider doing is setting up a um, data store in TrueNAS or sync thing, expose it via NFS, and then on the virtualization solution, set up a VM, and then you know just give it 16 gig gigs of storage. You don't need much. Have it mount the NFS um, you know store on the TrueNAS, and you could use something like AutoFS, so it's automatically mounting that, and uh, you know disconnects it whenever it's not being used. And it's so quick, same thing will never know that it was ever not mounted. But what really makes this work is that there's a special folder that SyncThing creates in its um, shares. And if that folder is missing, it won't sync. So for example, if you did manage to um, you know, get to a situation where you're not mounting the NFS store, which would mean the mount directory is empty, SyncThing's like, hold on, that folder I'm expecting to find is not there. I am not syncing anything which protects you from syncing an empty directory to other things. So that's why you could use NFS in that way. That avoids the TrueNAS um, you know, delay in the plugin being updated, for example. Yeah. And it gives you the full control to have that going on. So if you use your creativity in your home lab, which is kind of the point, you could come up with a really awesome solution and also think about what you want synced to, what, what else you want it synced to, for example, do you want, if you have like three laptops, do you want them to sync together? I don't do that. Um, what I do is I have TrueNAS in the middle and every device syncs to it. So you can think of it like a spoke 
mentality here. Yeah. They have something in the middle and every device syncs. So if your laptop, you update a file there and then it syncs to TrueNAS, then the TrueNAS is going to sync to the other nodes. But one thing I'll caution everyone on, though, is absolutely make sure you have NTP on all of your systems. Oh. Before yes. <laughs> you install sync thing, because if the time is not synchronized, some wacky stuff will happen. Will happen, and I um I ran into this the other day because I deleted a folder. It was an empty folder, so I deleted it. You know, I don't want that folder, and it came right back. So I deleted it, came back, deleted it, came back. Okay, the time's wrong on one of the other nodes because one of the other nodes is in you know on a future date to where that folder does exist. So sync thing is going to use that to decide, well, yeah, this time it's there and that's newer. So it needs to be present on all the other nodes. So just make sure that you not only install NTP, but test it, look at your clock, make sure it's synchronized before you install any synchronization solution and you'll save yourself a lot of trouble later. Right. Um, a few things to talk a little bit about now like jay mentioned kind of the hub spoke where everything's going to synchronize to that you can also go a step further and this is actually how mine's set up <clears throat> because as i said my computer's not on all the time and my laptop's not all the time i actually have them synchronizing to true nas i have a true nas here at the office that synchronizes to and then another true nas via vpn at home that stays in sync so i have technically always more than one copy of my data so it's in real time, any data that gets dropped there is synchronized on TrueNAS locally here. And then actually under a restricted rule, by the way, not just a rule that allows it to go to my house, but I actually have it on a trickle rule, as I call it. Uh, if I drop a big file on there, I don't want it to take up all my bandwidth. So I actually have it set to restrict so it sends it there over time. Uh, this is one of the fun things when you're doing this offsite. You, you want the file to start synchronizing right away, but not necessarily taking up all your bandwidth. So you can actually build it out like that so it will synchronize. And we've actually worked with people yeah. who set this up at offices like this where they have some graphics. And they're like, look, we're not worried about them getting that file right away. We are worried about using up all of our bandwidth if they drop a big file in the middle of the day. As long as it gets there eventually, we're fine. So there's added rules you can do like that, either via the firewall restriction or uh, sync thing itself lets you set limitations to how the data will be transferred. And to go mm -hmm. a little further is let's talk about file revisioning. This is, this oh, is yeah. a really cool oh, yeah. feature. Um, you can set all kinds of file revisioning options. So that way, if something catastrophic, let's say ransomware occurs, because uh, this has come up a couple of times on the show, like, hey, what if I'm using sync thing and it synchronizes all the ransomware? Well, good news. You can, on the other end of sync thing, go in there. It'll see all the changes and start synchronizing. You can stop it. And then you can roll back to previous revisions, provided when you set that share up, you have that revisioning turned on. It's really easy to turn on. And you can turn it on after you create the share as well. I believe there's a few other options where you can make it where the syncs only happen one way that way deletes don't happen the other way. So there's yeah. a couple little more advanced ones, but generally the file revisioning and you can set however many days you can even go really advanced and set uh, because one of the channels of revisioning, it can be a storage problem. You can specify that the revisions go to a different functional part of the drive. So you can actually on the back end of the server have more than one mount and you tell sync thing to say revision, but put all my revisions over here so they actually can be on a completely different mount point uh, yep. inside of Linux or Windows for, for all that matters. Uh, it's it's really nice because they give you some granular control. They have like trash can standard revisioning. They have keep five version revisioning. Uh, they have like a staggered versioning. They have a, 
some fine tuning you can do in there of what you do or don't want revised. So it's actually a really nice uh, granular way that you can do it. Yeah. And to piggyback off of that, um, you could really kind of just set this up the way that makes sense for you as the user. So an example in my case is that my documents folder has 90 days of revisions. My documents folder is, is teensy. I mean, you're talking just some, you know, word processing documents in there. I mean, it's it's probably less than a couple hundred megabytes at this point. So, and that's where I keep some of my documents in there. So 90 days of revisions is still really small. But when you think about my work in progress folder for YouTube, that's extremely large. So I really don't want 90 days of um, raw video files in there I only need a couple of days to process or edit what I'm working on. So I have, I have, I think I have it like three or seven days or something like that of revisions. So that way I'm not, you know, stacking videos upon videos upon videos, which I have done. And it did result in my true NAS actually completely getting full. Um, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, you can set that up however it makes sense. And I, I have used the one way sync thing on there where it only goes one direction. So um, I'll use the RetroPie as an example of that because the save files are going to be syncing two ways because that's what you want, right? But yeah. the ROMs, the games themselves are one way. They don't sync back because if a device that doesn't have ECC memory in, in it, uh, a ZFS file system, I don't want BitRot syncing back the other way. Um, I trust that data on TrueNAS, not so much on the endpoints. So I'll make sure that TrueNAS is sending the files, not receiving changes to those files, which means also that anytime I want to add a new file, I have to add it to the true NAS and I just use SCP for that, but I'm okay with that. So that way, you know, true NAS sends the files out. What I don't like about it though, is true NAS will still, or excuse me, sync thing will still detect a change on, on the node, even though it's not syncing both ways and ask you to, you know, click a button to override it. And haven't found a way to make it automatically, you know, purge changes. It just won't sync it, but it'll still show like an exclamation mark and say, hey, dude, you got a problem here. Yeah, I know. I don't want that syncing. <laughs> so I click the button every so often and I'm not even sure what changes, which actually makes me very happy that I'm syncing only one way because something is changing and I don't like that. So that puts me in control of it. Yeah, another thing to note when you're getting these devices all to talk to each other is whether or not you want to use the sync thing relaying servers. The default option is on. And with the relaying servers and discovery servers are are ways that you can use all the nodes and put in the IDs. It'll actually do local network discovery and find other nodes on there to join and say, hey, would you like to get these talking to each other on the same local subnet? Um, and then they have their external discovery service. Now they're not sending any data. They're just using some really basic tools. I believe they, if I'm not mistaken, they're just doing some uh, firewall and NAT traversal hole punching. Uh, if I, I think it's the methodology they're using to get this work. But I usually turn this off, uh, especially because it's for my business, and we implicitly list, and this is a nice feature, instead of letting it do any type of auto discovery, I go right in and I implicitly list TCPI, I think it's like TCP colon slash slash, they have the, the nomenclature in there, and you put the IP address or uh, DNS host name of the device and the port number you want it on, and you can implicitly connect each one of the devices without using any of their discovery tools. They, I, I get the choice to use them. They make things easier. I've had someone comment, well, hey, this thing's kind of beaconing out to these servers. I'm like, yeah, the servers are literally labeled sync thing in their host name that it calls out to. It's nothing 
not a big deal. It's just to make the product easier to use. But one right. checkbox away of configuration will turn off. You can tell it. It works perfectly fine without that on. It's just not going to do any of the global because you have your global reach out discovery and then you have your local discovery. Now, the downside of local discovery is whether or not you want noise on your network reaching out. You have a server that's looking for friends. Um, that's up to you if you want a server right. looking for friends uh, because if you have other people on that particular segment of the network, it will say, hey, would you like to be my friend? You seem to be running sync tank. Maybe you want that. Maybe you don't. So uh, but it's really arbitrary when you're doing the discovery. You said check those boxes and turn them off. On my end, I, I've had nothing but problems with that global discovery. And I'm sure there's an easy it's solution. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, tell me about it. I, I spent some time trying to fix this. And then I, yeah, I think Tom and I both came to the same conclusion separately. Um, so basically what would happen is, or actually, let me back up. The way it's supposed to work is I have two computers on the LAN they're supposed to sync directly to each other if they have a syncing relationship. They're not supposed to go out to the web, public internet, hit a relay, and then come back into the network. And that's exactly what was happening. It, it doesn't make sense because they're on the LAN, fully available, firewall, nothing. They could talk to each other. But for some reason, it would just go out to the internet and then back, which you'll know if it's using a relay because the speed of transfer will be extremely slow, like to the point where... Wait a few days and maybe you'll you'll have your first sync done if you're lucky. So I got really annoyed by this and I couldn't really figure out what was going on. And then another thing that would happen is that sync thing would start restarting over and over again because the public IP is the same for all the, the nodes on my LAN, which is, of course, how it works because you have one public IP for your internet connection. But when sync things relay servers, see, there's like, wait, I have like a bunch of servers behind this firewall that's trying to sync with me and I can't tell them apart. It was just a train wreck. So I just disabled it. And like Tom said, I just manually put in the IP address there and it's been perfectly fine. I don't even care if anything is able to hit the relay server. I'm home all the time anyway. So um, big deal, right? So I just turn all that stuff off and then it's a total land solution. And that just fixed all my problems. There's probably a, um, there's a reason why it's going out and then back in when it's not supposed to. I just haven't been able to figure out why that is, unfortunately. So you'll know that, that this is effect affecting you if you go to the logs right in the GUI and you see sync thing is restarting a lot. That's yeah, you're, you're getting bit by this, too. Yeah. And implicitly listing them just saves you the trouble. Uh, and generally speaking, they are because you, you could still have one reaching out for example this when i say implicitly listing does not mean i have to statically know where everything is and for example my laptop can wander between networks my laptop reaches out specifically to the freenas the freenas says you can accept connections a dynamic incoming connections from tom's laptop because it may be on different networks depending on what i'm doing with it and it's allowed to always accept the connection. Uh, and my system is always statically linking to the TrueNAS. So you don't actually, you can implicitly tell both of them to talk to each other that way. It's, it's less ideal. You probably want to set up wherever your static device is, such as your NAS device. And then you would take each one of the devices like Jay's Raspberry Pis and have them all talking to the device. So they're making the implicit connection back that way. So it's a a little bit of nuance to getting it set up, but that way we'll solve all these little discovery issues that are frequently, like Jason, kind of annoyances of trying to get them to work right. Um, it, I, I get it. it. I get their intention. Um, but yeah, sometimes the implementation of auto discovery can be a little bit ch challenging to say the least. I haven't really played. I haven't played to see if it's gotten better. I know when I started using SyncThing probably 
four or five years ago. It's been a while. Uh, I don't know exactly how long I've been using it, but quite a while. Um, I remember it being worse. It's gotten better, but I don't know if it's great yet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either, unfortunately. Yeah, implicitly list. Now, the functional protocol itself, the thing that uh, is really cool, provided all the nodes are in sync, is when you change something small about a file, it doesn't always have to send the whole file. It can realize the blocks that have changed within that file and synchronize it that way. The protocol itself is actually very efficient, very efficient at the way it looks at data, and uh, this helps to keep things in sync. But there's an exception to when that doesn't occur. And that's a new feature they added within, I think, the last year or so or less. Um, it's okay. They're still calling it beta. It's the untrusted encrypted devices. This is an awesome, exciting feature that they've really added. What this allows you to do, and this is our use case we talked about in the beginning of the show with Linode, is let's say you need, because something static for you could be your Linode server. That's a great place. But then you're going, oh, what if someone were to take over, get into that cloud server? Then they would have all this data. It's because the data in transport is all encrypted. The data at rest is not encrypted with sync thing. It would be unusable if it was, except when you set up untrusted nodes. And if you were to build a untrusted node using your loaded offer code that we have down below, and you build out, you build this out, you would end up with a system that is blinded to what it's synchronizing. This is a great feature. So let's say you have some special configuration files, but you're like, man, I really need this stuff backed up. But boy, it would be a privacy concern for me to have this data anywhere else, um, whether it's your personal data or anything else, but it's really convenient to have it. Then you would just set up this encrypted, untrusted node. The password and encryption is all done on, we'll use a laptop as an example. So you set up your laptop with this on there, and when you set up the untrusted node, the untrusted node still goes through a similar process of being implicitly listed and connecting to it, but it's blinded because you check a box on the reach out part on the laptop that says, here's the password to encrypt it. Use something really long, high entropy. And then this allows you to have your data at rest unencrypted as far as when it's on your computer and your computer's booted up, but then synchronizing in an encrypted fashion. And the landing point that Linode server you spun up for this never gets the password. It only gets encrypted garbage, not just encrypted garbage. It doesn't even know folder names, file names. It actually breaks things up into weird parsing. It's kind of interesting. I, uh, it, it definitely breaks all up into garbage, which is perfect. And that's exactly what you want uh, because it, there's not a way to even go through the metadata and make assumptions about what the files are. The huge advantage of this, of course, is now, if I wanted, for example, I have a super secret set of documents I wanted to have on my laptop and I got the password to this and I've set up this encrypted node. And if something happens on my laptop, all I have to do is remember that password, recall that, set it back up, and now I can decrypt it again. Or what if I wanted to share things with Jay? And I all I have to do is make sure Jay has that password. He can synchronize with it. So me and Jay can work on a super secret project. All of our data can be transported to this publicly available Linode server that without the password, without all the implicit rules that are with it, there is no way, even if you had physical hands-on access to all the data on it and cloned it, you don't get anything out of there. But me and Jay are able to use it completely synchronized, completely transported across the internet, but still encrypted in a way that anyone at any point, whether they're if they hacked the Linode server, they got in because you forgot and left SSH on with passwords and you set the password to be password, they would not give them any insight to data. This is really critical when you 
want to get creative with some of your design ideas because server backups, servers have a lot of little backup data. Servers can create like database exports. Those are pretty critical. PFSense, little XML file. That XML file PFSense creates when you're backing up. That would be really great intel to have because all your VPN configuration can be in there. So you don't just want that synced with sync thing and then to some public server where it's offsite, you want that all encrypted. And it's kind of, you know, just a few of the use cases for using an encrypted, untrusted node within there. And by the way, to make this a little bit more fun, uh, SyncThing has the ability for untrusted nodes to pass data to other untrusted nodes and other untrusted nodes. So you can build a web of untrusted nodes and then connect to that web of them with the password and be able to pull down the data back. Uh, one thing though, the untrusted node can't do file revisioning. The untrusted node, uh, because it's so blind to the files, it synchronizes. If you have a minor change to a large file, that file just is going to get resynced. Uh, it doesn't have any way to understand revisioning. It's kind of dumb in that aspect because you've blinded it from what the file is. So offering any of those services like revisioning, even if they were encrypted, that would actually be leaking some metadata. So they kind of made the decision that it's blind, it's dumb. It just collects encrypted blobs and holds them for you as long as you have the password. So you still have to have your own strategy internally on how you may want to back things up. But it's a, it's a really cool feature they've added, uh, like I said, maybe in the last year or so. And I'm impressed with it. It's, it's pretty cool being able to have that on there. Yeah, I can see that being very useful. Absolutely. Yeah, especially when you start, like I said, the server backup stuff, it's so easy to load sync thing on a server uh, and just have it regularly backing up certain config files that may change as you make changes to the server and things like that. Um, it, it's nice because it offers a real-time level of backup. So if you create some backup job that just spits it out into the sync thing directory every half hour and then sync thing goes, all right, hey, I found a new file. Well, let me synchronize it. I found a new file. Let me synchronize it. Now you're keeping everything uh, very up-to-date with a really secure transport layer. Yep. Yeah, pretty pretty cool use cases for sync thing for sure. It is oh, a... Yeah. Uh, it's a fun tool that runs on about everything. I'm trying to think of, I think we covered like this here. I know someone is always going to ask and we, I've got plenty of videos. I've done a few videos on sync thing for getting it set up for those of you looking for, well, what does it actually look like setting up? I will probably do a 2021 video coming up soon because, well, it, it doesn't look much different. Uh, my video, mm -hmm. even from a few years ago is 99% accurate. It just doesn't have some of the extra features uh, that I mentioned. It didn't have dark mode um, when I did the video. So you, wow, you really blind it. Yeah. I don't think it had dark mode um, a few years Maybe. ago. I don't, Actually, I don't log into the interface very often. It's kind of a set it and forget it tool. <laughs> so it, I I know it's working and it'll let me know if it's not working because I won't have my files synchronized. So uh, I kick it off when my computer starts and it'll pop the window up and I just close it. So I'm only blinded for a moment by its white background. I've never set dark mode on it. <laughs> I, never, I didn't even yeah. realize. I, I probably realized it had dark mode. I don't think I've thought about dark mode on it until you mentioned it today. So. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny that I I set that because I barely ever look at it, right? It's not like I'm in I'm in the console every day that it's like habitually dark mode check done. Um absolutely for whatever reason. Um yeah, there, there's a lot of features and sometimes you discover new things, which is pretty cool. And there's other features too like uh that are probably beyond scope because the documentation, I mean, if we, we were to go over everything, it'd probably be a whole series of videos and audio and podcasts just about this, but it's um yeah like you said it's easy to set up it it's really simple it's it lets you get your data from point A to point B um, the only thing I think we didn't mention is that it gives you like this uh, shared folder 
by default, which I always delete and, and remove out of the interface because I want to sync the folders that are important to me. So I, I always kill that folder. But if you want to have like a common folder and you're okay with that, you can leave it alone. Otherwise, you could just remove that default synced folder that it will create in your home directory. You could just remove it and then sync whatever you want and just add whatever folders matter to you. Yeah, and if you dive into... Um... I was just flipping through a documentation to make sure we covered everything here. One of the things that is on here, I didn't know this, they have an option for a custom upgrade server. So if you wanted to have your own custom uh, download links for the upgrade part, uh, that's even built in. It's not like you have to tell it to upgrade from somewhere. Uh, they actually have some options. So you can go you can go crazy with this. Um, they have some command. I, was, I didn't realize they've really added to the ability to do things from the command line. Um, yeah, that's nice. This is once again, if you are going to do something like Jay's doing where you deploy it with Ansible, uh, read through the documentation. There's a lot they give you to really dive in and customize. But for those you just want to get started with it uh, on Linux, have to get install or in Windows, you can just download it and really straightforward to get going on it. Yep, sure is. Once you get over the discovery problems. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to turn it off, um, basically. Yeah, but, you, but, but you still have to know the verbiage and the, the syntax for the... Yeah. URL, which honestly took me a little bit of time to figure out. So don't do that first, you know, just, just play around with it first and then you can explore that. Absolutely. All right. I think we have covered it. I will leave links to syncthing.net. It is a not a.com. It is a.net. Uh, check it out. It's free. It's open source. There's no offer code needed to get started with it. <laughs> just go ahead and click it and get going. Uh, decide all the places you want to put it. I will leave a link to the video. Do you have any sync thing videos, Jay? I do. Yeah, okay. it should still be current enough. Um, yeah, we'll leave some links to the same thing videos but, we've done yeah. to get you some more visual input for those of you that want to dive a little bit deeper in there and see it in action. Uh, but yeah, it's easy enough to get started with. We definitely, it's one of our favorite little tools that me and Jay have been using for a number of years, and we're hoping you'll enjoy it too. Yep. So. And I want to also just plug my Proxmox series that came out today. Yes. Uh, yes. Jay, yep. Jay's Proxmox series is out. Um, I retweeted at least one of them that you posted, but there's a, for, you've been asking about Proxmox. We did a uh, home lab show about Proxmox, but if you want to dive right into uh, Jay's videos, those will be linked as well. You can find them all on learnlinux.tv. Yep. So. And it's a 16 episode series. The first five videos are out today and then new episodes. I don't know how many each week, but new episodes will be out every week, at least one, but I'm going to try for more than that each week until um, all 16 episodes are done. The whole the whole series is completely filmed, but I have to just get them edited. So sometimes it takes a while, but I think it's going to happen faster than other series. So first five videos this week, um, anywhere from one to three next week. And I yeah. uh, hope you guys like it. That's uh, the editing is a big part of what we have to do here is is yeah. content creation is one thing and then processing all the content we create into something concise for your learning pleasure is a is a long, arduous task. <laughs> and once I get them edited, then sync thing won't have to sync 400 gigs of uh, work in progress files anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, for those of you wondering if sync thing scales, it's syncing currently 400 gigs of Proxmox videos. So yep. <laughs> I don't yep. even know how much it's syncing for me right now. I remember a couple of times I've looked and uh, it's the small files that it, that they've improved. Cause I remember one time I had it syncing all my photos, which is in the 70,000 range and uh, it used to choke a little while on that it could get it done it just was really slow and uh, they made that really a lot faster in recent years so that's that's not even like an issue anymore <laughs> right 
or, or computers are faster or a combination of it. The code got better and computers got faster. So uh, the overall experience was improved greatly by on two fronts. <laughs> yep. All right. You know where to find us. All the links are down below. And thank you for everyone joining us. Appreciate thank it. Thank you.